Would you pray with me once more as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, I think we've sang about every favorite song I have today, and my heart is full already. Thank you for your presence poured out on us, God. We are wholly undeserving of you. It is not because of a single thing we have or even could bring to the table that you love us and make yourself known to us. It's simply because it's who you are and it's what you do. You love to pour yourself out on your children. You love to make your presence known and to transform us in your presence. So Jesus, my prayer this morning is simply do your thing. May you do the thing that you love to do. And may we be more like you because of it. May you increase this morning and I decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. So we find ourselves again in the book of Mark, uh, which I've been saying for about nine months and will probably be saying for at least a few months more. Uh, And last week we read about, let me see, three verses that were too much for us to get to. Uh, And so I kind of had to cut it in half. Uh, And so, uh, excuse me, I said last week. Last week, Brian bought the message two weeks ago. Uh, So if you didn't hear that message, if you weren't here two weeks ago, I'll give a brief recap, but you may want to go to our website and uh, pull up our old messages and catch up. Um, I'm going to kind of breeze through. I fight the temptation to preach that message again uh, so that we can actually make it through uh, to this week's material. But just briefly catching up, uh, three weeks ago, we had a story of Jesus uh, cursing a fig tree. One of the weirder miracles that we see Jesus do, walks up to a fig tree that has all kinds of leaves and no fruit, and he says to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples are kind of like, what was that about? It's a weird thing, Jesus, to curse a tree, especially it even says it wasn't even fig season. Jesus, to curse a tree for not having fruit when it shouldn't have fruit is a weird thing. But Jesus was tying it together. It was actually a statement against the nation of Israel. This tree, by bearing leaves, was was broadcasting to the world, I have fruit. I have what you need. And so Jesus went to get what he needed from the tree, and it was barren. And so he said, may you be cursed. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then he had similar things to say about the nation of Israel when he went into the temple and cleansed the temple and all of this. He was tying them together. And so we find ourselves the next day, the next morning, Jesus and his disciples are heading back into Jerusalem again. And his disciples look and they see the tree and they go, they stop everything. Jesus, it worked. It says that the tree was withered from the roots up. No, this has never happened. This is not a man-made thing. It's not like, oh, it got a bug and it eventually died. Within 24 hours, this bright green fig tree is now completely withered from the roots up. And his disciples are kind of blown away. And they say, Jesus, how did this even happen? And in Mark eleven twenty-two, Jesus replied to them, have faith in God, I assure you. If anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, all uh, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you've received them and you will have them. And so two weeks ago, we camped out on this and we looked and we said, 
Jesus can't be saying, just believe it hard enough and God has to give it to you. Ask for literally anything you can imagine and there's your million dollars, there's your sports car, there's your mansion. It's yours simply because you asked for it. We, we, we looked at it and we said, if you just read it on face value, it doesn't match up with other things we find in scripture. We talked about the need to read scripture in light of scripture. When you find something that's confusing, that doesn't make sense, that, that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of scripture, to go through and look what else the Bible has to say about that. And so we looked at a bunch of different passages talking about this idea of prayer, receiving from the Lord. And I'm not going to go through all those passages again. You'd have to go back online and listen to them. But here's the conclusion that we came from. It was kind of a four-step process to get us somewhere. First, we looked at a passage that taught us that power in prayer comes through alignment with him. We, we have power, we receive what we ask for from the king when we are in alignment with the king, when our heart and his heart match. Alignment with him comes through knowing his will, comes through understanding what it is that he desires and aligning ourselves with it. Knowledge of his will comes through a renewed mind. And a renewed mind comes through abiding relationship with him. Abiding means living in and with. As we live in the Lord and with the Lord, our minds become renewed. His will becomes evident to us. Our hearts align with him. And we see our prayers moving in power. John 15, uh, 5 to 7 kind of encapsulates all of this. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So it wasn't just this, back to what Jesus said in Mark, ask for anything and you got it. Or, or just believe hard enough and you got it. But this thing of when we abide in relationship with him, his heart is revealed to us. Our hearts become like his heart. We get aligned and we see power moving in our prayer. Does that make sense? That is a recap. Again, if you weren't here and you want more, go back and listen. We spent a good amount of time talking about it. So what I want to get into this time is a little more practical in nature. And like we do, I'm going to ask a question and I actually want feedback from you. Uh, we believe here that I am not the only one that the Lord speaks to or through. Uh, if you are in here today and you are his child, you have the ability to receive from the Lord. He, he's called you to encourage the rest of the body. And so we actually want to take some time and learn from each other. So let me ask this question. And again, I, I would love your feedback. What disconnects us from the power of the kingdom in our prayers? We just kind of went through, okay, it's not just about ask and want it enough. There's a way to receive power, to receive the answer to our prayers even. But first, let's start with what hinders that, what disconnects it, what moves us out of that abiding relationship necessary to receive the power of the kingdom through our prayers. Does that make sense? Okay, so just practically, what short circuits it, what breaks the connection, what moves us out of that kind of relationship? Unforgiveness, unbelief, okay, sin, 
Anytime uh, a, a preacher asks you what and then something negative, say sin. <laughs> what hurts us in our relationship? What stunts our faith? What sin? It's a safe answer. Maverick? What is it? Okay, sinning in your anger, even more specifically. Very good. What else? Fear? Doubt? What else? There, I mean, there could be a seemingly endless list of things here, and we're going to work through a couple of them. But what else? What, what disconnects us? What short circuits that connection that we have? Okay, self-reliance. We, we have many times this morning praised the Lord for the, the nation that we have and that we were born and, and raised in, and there are so many blessings that come with it. One thing that we have to be careful with is we also come from a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps nation, which is completely contrary to what we're talking about here. Self-reliance is at odds with faith in God. It's good. So let me, get, let me go through a couple that I have here, and, and you guys mentioned, I think, all of them. I mean, sin covers quite a few. But the first, and we spoke on this a little bit at the end of last one, is doubt. The first thing that, that short circuits our power in prayer is doubt. We saw that Jesus said uh, in Mark chapter 11, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, he'll receive what he asks for. He, he said there's this, this pivotal thing of doubt that can short circuit it. Uh, James, Jesus' brother, think about this for a second. How good does your brother have to be for you to tell the world he's the Messiah? The fact that James is a believer tells me there's no doubt Jesus was who he says he is because I know my brother. And we're a long ways off from me saying, yep, son of God. So I can only imagine how convinced James had to be. But here's what James says. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways." So again, James is tying this thing of doubt in there of going, if you doubt, don't expect to receive anything. And the, the question we touched on at the end of the, the, our last time together was, doubt what though? Is it saying like, again, unless you believe really hard that God is going to work this miracle, that God is going to get you out of this situation, if you have any doubt in that, because that makes it seem like your faith should be in your faith. It's, it's more about the amount of faith you have. If you can just muster up enough and clear out some doubt, God has to do it. I would argue there's something different. Look at how both of these start. Jesus, uh, in his, uh, back in Mark 11, in his explanation to the boys about what happened, the first thing he said was, have faith in God. James here, how he starts, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. I think the doubt that they're warning us against isn't so much in the doubt that if I believe hard enough, I'll get it, but it's a doubt in the character of God. Does God really give generously to all without criticizing? Most of us, if we're not careful, we kind of picture God in some different ways, and oftentimes it's kind of this judge waiting to drop the hammer. He's going, oh, you dummy, we're here again. 
I can't believe you've done that. You need what from me? Didn't I give that to you yesterday? And this can be kind of the view that we have of God. And what that is doing is actually doubting the character of God. If we believe that he gives to all generously and without criticizing, and don't doubt that he's a good father waiting to pour out gifts on his children, I think we'll receive more than we have in the past. I think that that is the doubt that is so dangerous, uh, so damaging to our faith and to seeing our faith lived out through prayer. We doubt that the father is even the kind of father who cares enough to answer. We doubt whether, whether he really still moves and does good things for his children, whether he's even listening. And that right there cuts the legs out from under our prayer. Listen to how Jesus talks about uh, this idea of prayer and his father in Matthew chapter 7. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What man among you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The keep knocking, uh, keep asking, keep seeking isn't just because, again, if you want it hard enough, it's because there's a good Father waiting on the other side of the door, waiting to open it. If you those sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much greater is our Father in heaven? That is where our faith is to be, that he is a good God and a good Father who desires the best for his children. If that's where my prayer life starts, I guarantee you we're going to see the hand of God moving far more than we have in the past. If we start with doubt there, is he really that good? Does he really care? Does he even still move? Our prayers are going to be hindered. The legs are going to be cut out from under. Doubt is is the first place to start. This next one shouldn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. A lack of asking. Why don't we receive what we ask for in prayer? Many times because we don't even get to the point of asking. Maybe because we doubt some of those other things. I think maybe because of self-reliance. But this is not even a new thing. This is not like a Western church thing. Back in the early church, James again says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Even to the first century church, he was going, the things that you need, the things that you're talking about, the, the areas you want to see the kingdom move or yourself grow, he goes, you're not even stopping to ask for it. Maybe they were just mustering it up in themselves or, you know, trying to uh, white knuckle it. But even in the early church, he says, you don't have because you don't even ask. How many times have you guys heard some form of this? I hear it all the time. We've done everything else we could. We even stopped and prayed. It's kind of like, I tried everything, and then even God didn't, do, didn't move like we asked him to. And it's typically pretty far down on our list. I'm going to do everything I can do, and when I run out of options, I'll turn to God and go, hey, you got anything? The way that this kingdom prayer is supposed to be is we start by going, Father, what do you want and what are you going to do? I'll, everything after, like everything that I do, comes out of that. You tell me what to do and I'll go do it. 
you do not have because you do not ask. Think Again, right back to the uh, passage in Matthew 7. Jesus said, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. Because he knew our tendency was to quit early. He knew our tendency was maybe to ask once and go, I don't know, he didn't answer. And turn and walk away. And Jesus is talking about this persistence. Keep going. There's a good father on the other side. Start with asking him and keep at it. He's waiting to pour out gifts on his children. The next part of that verse that goes hand in hand with it, another short circuit to kingdom power is wrong motives. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. We will never get what we ask for when what we ask for is contrary to his will. Okay, we've already talked about we can know his will as we spend time in that abiding relationship with him. But he will never give us what we want when what we want is selfish. God, I want a million dollars because like, man, that'd be cool. I could get some stuff with that. I'm just going to tell you, God does not answer that prayer. God, make that other person sorry for what they did to me. Change their heart, God. Guess what? Probably not going to answer that. Change my heart, God. God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139. When we ask with wrong motives, oftentimes, if we're not seeing the hand of God move, probably a good place to start is going, God, search my heart. What are my motives in this? Because oftentimes, they're even a mystery to me. I don't even know what's going on in my heart. I need for you to come and move. There is uh, some old church father, I can't remember which one, uh, talked about this idea of the, the beauty in getting to a point of praying what he calls a prayer of indifference. And what he meant by a prayer of indifference wasn't, yeah, God, I don't even care, whatever. What he was talking about was getting to a point spending time with the Lord and working to a point where he could pray and he would go, Lord, truly, whatever your will is, that's what I want. We tend to come in and we go, uh, someone's sick. Our heart from compassion is we want to see them healed, right? And if I can get selfish a little bit, I want to see something cool. I want to see a miracle. How come I don't get to see those anymore? God, perform. Maybe that's not you, but that is my heart. And we come in with these kind of more selfish motives and we're, we're using prayer to kind of twist and manipulate God. Instead of just coming in and going, Lord, truly your will be done. I don't even know what your will is, but I'm going to stay here until you show it to me. So that I can pray in accordance with you. May your will be done. Not coming in with this agenda, God, you better do this. Or at least laying it before him and going, God, here's my heart. I would love to see you do this, but it's not my will, but yours be done. Who does that sound like? Jesus, kind of a big one. Uh, in Luke 22, Jesus, at the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, he prays exactly that. Listen to, the, again, this prayer of indifference that he's praying. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. If there's a plan B, let's do it. God, here's where my heart is. I don't want to do this whole cross thing. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, I want your will to be done even more than my own. 
the beauty in his prayer. And listen, Jesus had to come back and pray this three separate times for hours until his heart was in alignment. Not my will, but yours. Nope, my will's still stronger right now. I'm going back to him. Jesus, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he prayed it until he was in alignment with the Father and was truly able to say, I want your will to be done even more than my own. Does this make sense, church? You don't even have masks to hide behind now. On to Steve's sin. The, the big catch-all. Disobedience is going to short-circuit our faith. Isaiah 59. Uh, Isaiah the prophet is, is speaking against the nation of Israel in their rebelliousness against God. And he shares with them a principle that is true with us today. He says this, Indeed, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, and his ear not too deaf to hear. But your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. Your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. This is the nature of sin. This is actually the, the secret destructiveness of sin. Oftentimes we see the, the, the way sin plays out is through the hurt on somebody else's face, through the fact that somebody had to come and confront me. And we, we see it play out in relationship, but there's this side that if we're not paying attention, we will miss. And it's sin sets up barriers between me and my God. Sin causes him to turn his face from me so that he will not hear. That is the nature of sin. Now, does that mean that every time we do anything wrong, even the smallest little offense, God's going, I'm not even talking to you right now? No, he, he, is a, he is a gracious God. But when he convicts, when he brings these sins to our heart and we refuse to deal with them, we talk a lot on uh, communion Sundays, when we harbor these sins in our lives, we are distancing ourselves from God. It makes it sound like it's God's response, but actually it's us pushing away from the table. I don't want to walk with you. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to do this your way. I want to do it my own way. You cannot have that posture and receive what you ask for in prayer. We have built a wall that he has empowered us to take down, but we still have to make the choice. And until we choose to turn our back on that sin, repent, turn 180 degrees, we will not receive what we ask for in prayer. That's the nature of it. That's how it works. He's told us many times, we have to be willing to set that down and walk away. There's a couple examples uh, of sin that he speaks to specifically in his word. Uh, harsh treatment of others, the way that we interact with each other matters. First uh, Peter 3, 7. Peter has just finished uh, one of the scariest teaching for 50% of the population, women, on talking about wives submitting to their husbands. And he's, he, Peter's even painting the picture of uh, a believer married to an unbeliever. And that could be a very dark situation and how he's calling them to live faithful lives in the midst of it. And then he turns his gaze on men and he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, first, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it, but I wanna deal with the weaker partner thing because that could be a stumbling block that a lot of people's ears shut off after they heard it. So let me deal with that a little bit. When Peter is saying... Uh, 
Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. This wasn't the less valuable partner, even the less capable partner. This was really to say as the more vulnerable partner. Women were property back then. And for Peter to even say they are your partners would have been unheard of. This would have caused a lot of people to push back from the table and go, Peter, too far. I own her. What are you talking about? Partner with me. And then he goes even further. She's a co-heir of the gracious gift of life. Here's how inheritance worked back then. That word heir means someone who's going to inherit. Only men got it. It had to be the rarest of circumstances for a woman to inherit anything from her father. And it started with the oldest son got the most, second son got more than the third, and on down it went. Women didn't even get inheritances. And so for, for Peter to say, be respectful and mindful of the more vulnerable partner in the relationship. Lift them up because they're co-heirs with you of the gracious gift of life was an incredibly empowering statement. So if for some reason that caused you to kind of take a step back, tune in again. Peter was not going, hey, women aren't as good as men. Like, not what he's saying. But even to the point where he says, again, men, the way that you treat your wives, if you treat them harshly, it will hinder your prayers. Again, this was unheard of. First of all, Peter, chill out. My relationship with God is between me and him, okay? And again, she was property. Are you really telling me that God cares so much about her that if I treat her harshly, it's gonna break relationship with him? Exactly. We serve a God who loves each one of us so much that when we offend one another, it offends our father. How many of you as parents have ever had somebody say something offensive about your child? How'd you feel towards that person? Not too good, right? Our heavenly father is similar. We cannot treat one another harshly, poorly, sinfully, and expect to be on great terms with our Father. It breaks relationship with Him. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul talks about the law of Christ, which comes back to one of Jesus' last commands, which he says, just as you have seen me love you, now go love others. He ties the two together, our love of him and our love of others. We cannot break relationship with others and expect to remain in relationship with the Father. Be gracious, be, be considerate, respect, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Somebody mentioned before, unforgiveness. Back to Mark chapter 11, Jesus' disciples are floored that they saw this miracle and they're trying to figure it out. And he starts to give them some of those secrets of the kingdom. Have faith in God so that whatever you ask, you receive. And, and listen to what he ties together with it. Therefore, I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. And this is terrifying to me. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your wrongdoing. Again, the way we treat one another matters immensely. On, purely on a foundational level, there's something here where Jesus is going, if you think you can receive the most generous gift from me and withhold it from others, you're missing it. 
to withhold the blessing of forgiving someone else is to deny receiving forgiveness from the Father. Again, if this doesn't scare you a little bit, wake up. On a very foundational, just a practical, what it means to be a believer thing, you cannot deny forgiveness to a fellow human being and expect to receive forgiveness from your God. He says it does not work that way. I gave it to you to pass it on through you. And if you're not willing, then you didn't understand the forgiveness you got in the first place. And he also ties it into prayer. Remember, he says, as you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, the picture kind of painted is someone standing and praying and, and the Holy Spirit bringing to them, hey, remember last week, that interaction you had with that person, you were really harsh. You need to go and make things right. His Holy Spirit has come to convict of sin. And when he brings that conviction, we need to seek forgiveness, extend forgiveness, to make the relationship whole again so that nothing hinders our prayers. God will not be mocked. He's not going to keep pouring it out when we keep refusing to pass it on. Unforgiveness will hinder your prayers every single time. I'm not going to preach a whole message on this, but really quickly. Uh, I've had people ask before, and uh, there's a book called Soul Care that some of the church have worked through, and he gives a beautiful answer to the question, how do I know the difference between just like guilt, like shame that I'm carrying, and conviction? When, when the Holy Spirit is bringing something up versus when I'm just beating myself up or when the enemy is just whispering accusations in my ear, how do I know the difference between the two? Uh, and the answer given in that book I, I think is, is so clarifying is when the enemy brings accusation, when it's just guilt and shame that we're called to cast off, it's very vague. It's very, you're just a bad person. You're just unworthy. You're a liar. You're, whatever it may be, you're just, you're, you're worthless. They're very vague statements. And I think we've all experienced those before. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it's very specific. Last Thursday that interaction you had with your child yesterday, you need to go make that right. Because the Holy Spirit's desire and conviction is that we would repent and make things whole. And so he's going to be very specific. He's not just going to sit back and go, you figure it out. He will be very specific. If it's not specific, it's, if it's just some vague accusation, it is a lie and it's from the enemy and you're called to cast it off. That's untrue. I'm a child of the Most High King. I'm as valuable as they come because he said so. When it's specific, it is the Holy Spirit, and we need to respond in obedience and go deal with it. Does that make sense? Okay, so unforgiveness not only breaks relationship with the Father, moves us out of the power of the kingdom. So there's, there's more that could go into the list. There's always more that can go into the list. But let's move the other way. Those are some of the things that, that break relationship, that short-circuit the power. What are things that help us move into kingdom power in our prayer? And again, this is where you can share. What are some of those things that help us move into maybe that abiding relationship with him? Stillness. Okay. Worship. What else? 
a great idea, guys. The Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there are a whole host of spiritual disciplines. That's some of these things that are uh, being thrown out right now. Stillness, prayer, time in the word, uh, fasting, worship, all of these different uh, disciplines, habits that we can create that put us in that place where we can abide with him, understand his will, and pray accordingly. What else? Humbling of oneself. Absolutely. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah. Okay. Community. We're going to come back and touch on this one. Absolutely. What else? It's a tough one. Because, I mean, we've all read our Bibles before and not experienced answer to prayer, right? We've all worshiped before and not experienced answer to prayer. And so it can't just be do those things, but at the same time, try doing it without those things, you're going to fall flat on your face. Walking in the light. What do you mean by that? Yeah, walking in the light, meaning not allowing there to be dark corners of your life that no one else knows about. Uh, hidden sins, secret shameful things, but walking in the light, confessing our sins one to another that we can experience him and his forgiveness in new ways. Yeah. Let me get, let me get to a couple practical tips here. The first one, again, it's, it's kind of a catch-all. Like Steve said with sin, kind of a catch-all for that's just gonna break things down, any sin, they all fit. This one's kind of a catch-all in some ways, and then we'll get to a couple specific. Pursue righteousness. First uh, John 3, 21 to 24. Dear friends, our consciences don't condemn us. We have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and we do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his command remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he has given us. Brothers, our consciences are clear. We have confidence that we will receive from God. Why? Because we keep his commands and we do what is pleasing in his sight. Because we pursue righteousness. We are pursuing, becoming the people that he has called us to be, created us to be, and that gives us great confidence in our prayers. And, and here's the thing, it's not just about not sinning. Sometimes what we pursue is sinless. And I don't mean sinlessness, to sin less. Our goal is quit it, stop doing that. We have this sin that we keep tripping over, and as long as we make our goal stop doing that, do that less, we're going to fail. But when instead our goal becomes, Jesus, make me righteous. Not just Jesus, help me stop lying. Jesus, make me a lover of truth. Jesus, help me stop being so, sin so stingy. Jesus, make me generous. Do you see the difference? When we actually pursue righteousness, not just stop sinning so much, this confidence comes with us. Because here's the thing, you can only pursue righteousness in one way, and that's back to that deep abiding relationship with Jesus. 
And as you pursue him in that, he reveals himself to you. He pours himself out on you and this confidence and this faith grow because you're pursuing becoming the man or woman that he has called you to be. And you will have this new confidence in your prayers. You will see the power of God at work in your own life and you will see God's desire for it to work all around you. And you will begin to pray with this confidence. Now understanding it's not about perfection, but pursuit. It doesn't say until you're perfectly righteous, don't even bother praying, okay? Because we are pursuing righteousness, we have confidence that God will hear and answer our prayers. First Peter, right after he says that verse about husbands, be careful in the way you treat your wife so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The very next verse he says, now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, should love believers and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you can inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to live life excuse me, love life and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do what is good. He must seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their request. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. And you see how Paul kept setting the things up and he didn't just go, uh, for those of you who are paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, he didn't just say, quit it. But he said, no, 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 we're not about evil for evil, insult for insult, but instead, on the contrary, we give a blessing. We pursue righteousness. Not just, hey, stop treating each other badly, but instead, pursue peace. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and hear it, and his ears are open to their request. By pursuing righteousness, you put yourself in a position to be able to expect the Lord to hear and move on your behalf. When we're somewhere in the middle, I have good days and bad days, and I'm kind of okay with that, don't expect to hear anything from the Lord or to receive anything from the Lord. You see, what many of us do is we wait for the spotlight to be turned on. There's a situation in our life where we need to pray something powerful, and we go, okay, Jesus, I'm in it now. My feelings are worked up, let's do it move, heal, whatever it is. I pray in faith in Jesus' name. And he goes, cool. What about last week? What about next week? It's not something we can turn on and turn off when we need it. I need to receive something from the Lord, so I'll trade him a little bit of righteousness. We're to be these kind of people day in, day out, whether anybody sees it or not. And then when those moments come, when God desires to move in kingdom power, he knows who his people are. He knows who will be able to receive his will and pray it powerfully, and we will see the kingdom move. But this is a daily pursuing of righteousness, not just when we need something from him. So first, pursue righteousness. Second, ask him to show you how to pray. We saw the disciples do it. They walked with him for years and still came up to him and went, hey, cool, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. For some reason, we in the church in 21st century, we tend to treat it like people should just magically know how to pray. Somebody comes to to Christ and, you ever heard this one? I'm just not good at praying. You know, and we go, nonsense. You just talk to him, which is true. What we're typically trying to say there is it doesn't have to be this 
magic recitation of these special words and you have to get up, oh, our heavenly father, thou art blessed. Like we don't, you don't have to do that. You can talk to him like a normal person, which is good and true, but we tend to stop right there. Now you go figure it out. That didn't work for Jesus and his disciples. They were literally walking with him and going, they'd seen him pray, they'd seen him on the mountaintops and whatever else, and they were saying, we still don't get it. Will you teach us how to pray? And he didn't go, you dummies. You've been seeing it for over a year now. What do you do? He taught them how to pray, right? Over in Matthew chapter six, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He taught them how to pray. And this was just a model. He didn't say, now pray this four times a day, every single day, and you'll get whatever you, like, this was a model. He was trying to show them it's about the Father being lifted up, and it's about his will being done and his kingdom coming, not yours. You are dependent on him even for the very bread that you eat every day, and only he is the one that can empower you to forgive and to walk away from temptation. It's all about the king. It's not about you. This is a principle that he was teaching them in prayer. But we today can still come to Jesus and go, I don't get it. I read what you wrote and like I can kind of understand that, but I still don't know how to pray. Will you teach me how to pray, Jesus? Will you, the one I'm praying to, tell me what you want to hear? The answer is going to be yes. It might not be that moment. It instantly happens. Because again, it's not magic. But it's part of that abiding relationship, moving in with him. I want to pray like you want me to pray. I want to pray about the things you want me to pray about. I want to pray for the, the outcomes that you want to make happen. Teach me how to pray, Jesus. There's a, a, a Psalm 37 that can be taken one of two ways and actually is taken one of two ways. Psalm 37, four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Some take that to mean if you delight in the Lord, again, whatever you ask for, he's got to give it to you. Anything your heart desires, the Lord will pour out on you. Whether it's good for you or not, whether it's selfish or not, whatever, just he'll give you the hearts of your, the desires of your heart, excuse me. The other way to look at it, that actually is more biblical and fits with the rest of scripture, is when you delight in the Lord, his heart's desires become your heart's desires. He puts his desires into your heart. He gives you the desires of your heart. The things that you desire become the things that he desires. And that's not something you can do on your own. Jesus, teach me how to pray. Help me to desire the things that you desire. These are, answer, these are prayers that Jesus will always say yes to. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. He desires to say yes to them. He told us that in his word. Jesus, teach me how to pray. And the third one, again, this is not a complete list. Seek him together. Brian had mentioned living in community as a way of, of growing in this power of prayer. We have turned prayer into, we may all gather together sometimes in a prayer meeting, but it's okay, you pray your thing, you pray your thing, I pray my thing. It's been a half an hour, we're done. 
But instead of actually seeking him together, Jesus, we don't know how to pray about this. How do you want us to pray? And learning and growing together. Matthew 18, Jesus says this, I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. He's talking about power. Heaven coming on earth, his kingdom coming, his will be done. He's talking about this power that we have in prayer. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among you. So again, two ways to read this. We sit down and we're going to pray together and we go, I want a million dollars. You want a million dollars? I want a million dollars. We agree. Let's pray, and God has to answer now, right? Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago, that in my name means in alignment with me. We're praying, not just saying in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer, but we're going, I want what you want. There's this sense here of these, this actually comes, uh, the rest of Matthew 18 is what happens if a brother offends you and there's broken relationships. And so he's talking about them coming back together and it's more about them sitting down and going, Jesus, show us what to pray for. Okay, uh, does Jesus want to, Jesus, do you want to heal our sick brother over here? I don't know. Well, let's all pray together. Lord, what do you want to do? We spend time praying and somebody goes, I, I kind of get the sense that he, he does want to heal. You know, as we were praying, I got the same thing. And maybe a third one goes, as you guys were saying that, I got like, there was just a peace in my spirit. I think that's what God wants us to pray on. We all agree. Let's pray in power. Far too often, we just try it alone. Maybe because we're embarrassed. What if we get it wrong? We're scared to pray. Jesus, I believe you want to heal this person. Heal them. We're scared to pray that out loud, and so we just kind of keep it alone and quiet. And he says, look, where two or three are gathered in my name, where you agree on what you're praying for, you will see things loosed and bound in the heavenly realms. Like, we don't even know what to do with that. But he's saying, you will see power when you come together and you pray in agreement in my name. Not just your own agreement, but when you receive from me and move in that, you will see power. Does this make sense again, church? It's a tough one. And let me tell you, you only learn this by practicing it. If you think by sitting here and listening or maybe by reading a book or reading some of these passages, you're just going to go, cool, got it. This is not an intellectual thing. This is a relational thing. The only way to un truly understand these things, the only way to move in the kind of power, kingdom power that he's called us to, is to practice it. And like every child practicing anything, you're going to fall on your face. When was the last time you as a parent had a young toddler take their first two steps, fall down, and you went, two? At least give me three. What is wrong with you? You celebrated that child, right? First steps, yeah. We have a heavenly father who's doing the same thing. He's going, just take one and I will celebrate with you. He's not condemning us because oh, we didn't make it all the way on the first try. He says, just keep seeking, just keep knocking, just keep asking. The door will be open for you and your good heavenly father is waiting on the other side to pour out more blessings than you can even imagine. Back to Malachi 2. If we will practice these things, again, practice, 
we will begin to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. First in our own hearts and lives and then in the hearts and lives of those around us. Pursue holiness. Ask him to teach you to pray and seek him together and you will begin to see the power of the kingdom at work in and through your prayers. Let me pray and then we're gonna close with a song. Lord Jesus, I'll speak on all of our behalves. We all desire to see you move. God, we would all be wowed by a miracle done in our midst. But you're not a genie in a lamp. You're not a magician here to entertain. We desire to go closer to you. God, and as we abide with you, as we become like you, as our hearts are transformed to be like your heart, we desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our daily lives, as it will be one day in eternity. God, may we take those baby steps. May we experience your grace and patience with us when we fall flat on our face. May we grow in our pursuit of you and the righteousness you call us to, that we would see kingdom power in and through each of our lives. Again, move as only you can, Lord Jesus. You are a good father and you can be trusted. We love you, we thank you, we trust you. In Jesus' name.